Hi, my name is Rhonda Minga, and I would like to welcome you today to Freedom Ministries in Crossed, Arkansas. I invite you to connect with us online at freedomministriescrossed.com. Now let's take the time to pray before we tune in to today's message. Lord, I lift you up, and I just pray that you draw us by your Spirit. I pray that you show us your Word. You give us great and mighty revelations of who you are and how you want to move in and through us. Lord, be with these people as they tune in now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When it comes to living for the Lord, there comes a time where we have to decide what our purpose is. We have to discover what that purpose is in God, and we have to make a decision to say yes to that calling. And I believe that this church, I don't feel like I'm speaking wrongly when I say this, but I believe that this church, specifically this church, and even somewhat our church as well, and where Pastor Bolin is at, I believe that this is a community that God is calling some leaders and some mentors to minister to young people and young Christians. Maybe not young people, but some young Christians and young people alike, but some young Christians need leadership, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. For those of you that are in leadership, for those of you that are mentoring, for those of you that are being mentored, you need to listen to this too. We're going to have to become a people that's willing to show our people, our students, that they need to get uncomfortable. And it's okay. And we got to teach people to deny themselves. We got to teach people to take up their cross and follow after Christ. And most, most people, a lot of Christians sitting on the pew don't even know what that means. To take up your cross. And so tonight we're going to read our text found in the book of Luke. We'll look at chapter number 9 and verse 23. We'll start there. But it says this. It says, And he, being Jesus, said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say, deny. And take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. I want to talk to you tonight about surrenderance. If that's okay. Being a, having a heart of surrenderance and a heart of a servant. You know, I'm going to kind of tell some things about myself today and our family's journey and why we came down here to begin with but I want to start with a quote it says this that love is a commitment that will be tested in the most vulnerable areas of spirituality a commitment that will force you to deal with your lust your greed your pride your power your desire to control your temper your patience and every area of temptation that you are faced with it demands the quality of commitment that Jesus demonstrates in his relationship to us. That first phrase said, love is a commitment. When we often think about Jesus Christ and the commandments that he gave, and one of the first ones he said, when he said, these are the two great commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and your mind and strength. Whenever you think about loving God, you need to think about commitment. And I believe tonight that there is a, 
a God that has been calling you and me to a closer commitment to the relationship that we have him with, with him so that we can begin to do the work that he's called us to do. And many of us are struggling with the area of what work do I need to do because we have not yet committed ourselves to him. You see, God don't ever jump steps. And sometimes he has to wait on us to catch up. You know, sometimes he's like, well, I would give you that, but you ain't ready for that. You're not mature enough for that. And so whenever it comes to mentoring young people and mentoring people that are just fresh in the Lord, we have to understand that there is a process. And in that process, these people need to understand that one of the most important things that they can be taught is commitment. And it takes a heart that is willing to serve. It takes a heart that is willing to surrender to Christ. Whenever I think about surrenderance, I think about a lot of things, but I think about just our journey, my family and I, our journey to come here, we had to put on surrenderance. I'm going to tell you what you, maybe what some of you don't know is that we had a good life in Charleston, Arkansas. And whenever I tell people down here that I'm from Charleston, they always say, oh, down there by the beach? I'm like, no. <laughs> If we was there, my wife probably wouldn't have left. <laughs> we love the beach, man. But while we was there, we had a pretty good life. But back in December of 2019, God spoke to me in a dream. He gave me a dream, and he began to deal with me about this dream. And, and I had just really begun to scratch the surface of uh, studying into dreams biblically and things of that nature. And I didn't really understand what the dream was about. I thought I did. But over the course of 2020, God began to reveal to me and train me and teach me and get me along. And he began to speak to me in other dreams. He spoke to my wife. He spoke to my son. And some people don't put a lot of stock in dreams. But let me tell you, that's a mistake. The dreams that you're having are important. And, well, yes, we'll get into it. So whenever you think about dreams, a lot of times we often get a little crazy with our dreams. And we think, Man, every dream is the same, and every dream is from God, but not every dream is from God. Some dreams are your natural spirit, your natural mind, praying to God. Those dreams are easy to decipher through, but then you also have dreams from the enemy, where the enemy is trying to put dreams in your spirit that is to uh, desensitize you to the things of God and to the spirit world, but also sometimes they're just to instill fear. You know, kids get nightmares a lot. Most of the time, those are from the enemy to install fear because if you can get them fearful at a young age, what's the Bible say in Revelation? On the top of the list of all the people that ain't going to make it, it's the fearful that ain't going to make it. Remember that? We don't like to talk about that. And so fear is one of the things that the devil tries at a very early age to get into people's minds. But then you have the third type of dream, which is a dream from God. Now, we focus a lot on interpretation when it comes to dreams. But let me just tell you, whether you interpret it or not is irrelevant because your spirit man knows. You see, when God speaks to you in a dream, that's how sometimes you'll wake up and you won't even remember the dream, but you know it meant something. You're like, man, I just know it was important. I wish I could remember it. Your spirit remembers it. And I know this through experience because me and my wife, we've seen dreams in the past. We went back later on in years when we started studying dreams, and we was like, wow. God was already showing us that we was going to end up doing this, and we ended up making the right decision anyway. 
because God put it in our spirit. So sometimes you're talking to God in your dreams, and sometimes he's talking to you, okay? Does that make sense? You're with me so far? Now, last year, I think it was, we had a Bible conference in, um, in well, I guess it, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. Anyway, that's irrelevant, but we had a Bible conference up at Charleston at Life Church, and uh, there's a young couple there that came to me after the service, and they began to tell me a dream that she had several weeks ago at that time. She was like, I had this dream, and this couple was, they're there, and let me explain the living situation, because I want to give you the details of this, because you need to understand that dreams are important. And so, whenever she began to tell me the dream, she talked about her son being in the dream, and then she talked about another boy that lived in the, was in the dream that was younger than her son. Well, in her household, she has her son, who is a toddler, and then she has about a 15-year-old boy that lives there, too, which is the, the husband's uh, little brother. And they ended up getting custody over this little brother, okay? So, at any rate, what happened was is she dreamed that she was kind of in a room, and I just kind of picture it about this long because she said she had a bed that her and her husband were sitting in, and they had the Word of God open in the dream. And then at the foot of the bed was uh, some bunk beds, and on the bottom bunk was her youngest son, and then on the top bunk was this, this infant, okay, which was kind of weird to her because she was like, I wouldn't put the oldest child on the bottom, I'd put the oldest on the top. But at any rate, at the end of it was a bathroom. Now, whenever you're studying dreams and thinking about dreams, when God gives you bathroom dreams, some of you ever had a bad dream about a bathroom? or you see the bathroom door just open, or maybe you was in a bathroom, or something happened in there, that's usually God trying to tell you that there's things you need to purge out of your life, okay? And so you got to pay attention to what it is he's speaking. And so I began to think about it with her, and she said what happened was she was dreamed, and that's what she saw. Kids were asleep on the bed, and then out came this face. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of Momo. Has anybody ever heard of the Momo Challenge? That guy back there's hold of it, heard of it. You've heard of it. Have y'all looked at the image? You two, y'all seen it? Well, don't do it in front of your kids, but Google it sometime. Google the Momo challenge and do a little bit of research, but you'll know exactly what she saw in this dream. But it came between the children in the bunk bed. It just came out and was just looking at her. And this face, let me just tell you, when you look it up, you'll see that this face is hideous. It's evil, it's satanic, it's demonic. And what it is, uh, well, I won't tell you what it is yet. At the time, I had never heard of Momo, okay? Never heard of it. And so what I was doing was I was going through the dreams like what I felt like the Spirit was saying, and I was asking her questions about how she felt because how you feel in the dream sometimes makes a difference. And I was asking her about it, and she, she knew who Momo was, and she, she showed me the picture and everything. Or actually, she didn't. I'm sorry. But she was telling me who it was, and what it was all about to some degree, but she just said it's just a really scary-looking face, okay? And I began to just, I don't know, I just didn't feel right about it after we had left. We was at the church until probably midnight or so that night, and at 2 to 3 in the morning, somewhere in that vicinity, I was still awake, and I was still trying to figure this out because I just it was just bothering me. Like it was just on my spirit so strong, and I couldn't get away with it. Or away from it and so I went ahead and googled Momo and whenever I looked up Momo I saw the face and I began to read 
articles after articles. I watched videos, and, and I began to see that Momo was very satanic. So who is Momo? Momo is this face that comes out while kids are watching videos on YouTube, and it encourages kids to do things that they ought not be doing. It encourages kids to, you know, it starts out with simple things like disobey your parents or tell your parents, you know, no, or, you know, ignore your parents when they tell you to do this or back talk them or cuss them out. But then it moved into further things like tell your or kill your parents in their sleep. It went on to things like commit suicide. And I began to read and I saw these things and I was seeing where kids were legitimately killing suicide because of Momo, because of the Momo challenge. One little girl I was reading earlier uh, had autism, and she began to ask questions to her mom about, hey, where are their knives kept at, and where can I find a knife, and, you know, where can, and started asking questions that were just odd and out of character for her. And it was because she had been watching Momo, and Momo was telling her to kill her parents. And many atrocities have been reported because of Momo. But suicide was one of the, whenever I read that about suicide, the spirit prompted me. And I, my heart began to pound and I began to understand what was going on. And so I got to thinking about the dream. The 15-year-old boy they lived with and was on the top bunk in the dream, but he was depicted as younger simply because he had entered the family later. But being on the top, he was elevated in stature and age. Okay? And so I called them. And they were still up, and they were outside talking to each other about what do we need to do about this dream. Now, mind you, she had this dream, I'm going to say a month and a half to two months before this night. But this night is when we talked about it. This night is when God just laid it on all of our hearts so strong. This night was the night. And I told her, I said, it's a spirit of suicide. We need to talk to... And I said the boy's name, and I said, we need to deal with him and talk to him. And they hung up the phone, they went in, and the next day she wrote me the next morning, and she said, we walked in to the room, and he was writing a letter to the little babe, the little toddler boy in the future because he didn't plan on being here much longer because he had been wrestling with the idea of suicide. Are dreams important? I believe they are. And I believe the Holy Spirit showed up for that young couple that night. Now, with that being said, he's still alive today, and his life was spared. And I don't know that he was really going to do it. I don't know. But God don't lay stuff on your heart and put stuff in your spirit for no reason. And so I told you that to say this because sometimes... People, whenever they hear preachers talking about, well, because of a dream, I decided to make a life-altering decision, they think, this guy's a quake, or this guy's a flake, or this guy's a whatever. But I want you to understand something. In 2019, December, I had a dream, and in that dream, it depicted us coming here to work in the ministry alongside my dad in his church and in this area. And... You know, at, at the beginning of that, I didn't realize that. But over the course of 2020, I began to realize that. But I was also a little bit sad about it on one hand. Number one, because I knew that I was going to have to uproot my life and my family's life. And see, whenever you begin to think about your calling, 
you often think, man, it's going to be great because when we think about ministry, and this is one thing that young preachers struggle with so much, and so those of us that are mentoring and trying to lead people, we need to understand that up here is only a very small fraction of what we actually do. But nobody tells you about the sacrifices your family has to make, the time that you don't get to spend with your kids at times because you have to minister. Or because your mind's on what you're going to preach about. Or because your mind's over here on who you need to counsel or whatever the case might be. And it's not that it's a burden, but it is a sacrifice. It's not that it's always hard and difficult, but sometimes it's a sacrifice. But me and my wife, she can tell you, we had a comfortable living where we was at to some degree. I was making almost double what I'm making now at my part-time job at Walmart. So, by the way, I appreciate your giving. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I really do. I, I seriously do. Some people get up here and they're too modest to say anything about the money. I'm grateful for it. And I pray that God blesses you. Because every dime that we get is a seed that we can sow. And if you've got seeds to sow, then you always got a harvest to come. Amen? So, ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with giving. Ain't nothing wrong with talking about it in church. We need to teach about it more the right way. But I do want to say that we was making decent money. She had a job uh, up there at the school. Oh, easy hours. I mean, she was spoiled rotten, working them, them school hours, you know, getting to come home. And she wasn't actually having to come home and grade papers and stuff, so she had the best of best worlds off all summer long. and all that. I'm just picking on her, but we had a good life. I was in management up there at the city of Fort Smith in a sewer department. I had a good career going, good benefits, all those things. And I was active in ministry at our church. We were working with kids and youth and always, always doing something in the church, always had something going. But we were in a place where everything was comfortable. But how many of you know that we need to get comfortable being uncomfortable? And so when God began to reveal to me what it was and I began to pay attention that we needed to do and I began to talk to Vicki about it and we began to look forward to that, we started changing things. And God paved a way and God made it happen. God got us down here and then, but it was, it was a heart of surrenderance that we had to consistently have because there wasn't a whole lot of offers as far as work goes to make the kind of money we were making. There wasn't a whole lot of offers going on as far as those things. And I didn't come here to toot my horn. That's what I'm trying to do. But I'm trying to give you an example of what real ministry sometimes is going to look like. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hours staying up, you know, talking about situations. What, we, what can we do here? Sometimes it's just hours explaining to the kids that we might have to cut back on certain things because we can't afford to do what we once did or this or that. Sometimes your it's going to be different for each one of you. But there will be sacrifices. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been saved. Some people tell you. that we Man, I tell you what, there's so much gospel out there that we preach about how when you get saved, you just come in and it's like we're going to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and everything's hunky-dory. We go home and life is perfect when we get there. Like the Holy Spirit, I mean, God, the pre angels, just every corner we go around. Well, here's another angel. Thank you for ministering to me. I appreciate that. You know, well, here's another one. Everywhere we go, there's an there's a angel just waiting to lift us up and make us feel all good and mushy. Amen? 
But I ain't seen no angels yet that I know of. I might have seen some unawares, but I haven't seen any that I know of. Well, except for the one I married, of course. Praise God. Oh. And so we often get confused about our calling because here's one thing that I used to make a mistake in teaching. I used to say, if you have the desire to do it, it's because God put it there. And so you need to jump out there and get it done. Well, see, all of my life, for the most part, all of my adult life since I've become saved, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I really want to be a youth pastor. That's like my dream job. If I could youth pastor and just, you know, raise up young people, talk to young people, be on campus with them, go to their games and all that kind of stuff, that would be, if I could just do that full time, that would make me really happy. I would love that. I love teenagers. I love kids. I like them. I'm sorry for the way yours turned. No, I'm playing. <laughs> but I like kids, and I love, I love, love the way they think and the way that they talk and just the way that, the way that they're constantly, and you get to watch them grow into a mature adult. It's just, it's a cool process. And I just like it. But in one of the dreams I had concerning moving down here, I'm driving down the street, and there's this stoplight in front of me, but it's actually green. It's my time to go, but there's this group of about 30 to 40 kids over on the side. And there's this lady that leads them out in front of me. And they get out there, and it takes forever for them to go. Now, I was supposed to be going. But you see, in the dream, God was trying to show me something about my real life. He was saying, youth pastor is not what I called you to do. And whenever I begin to get a hold of that, I'm not going to lie to you, it broke my heart to some degree. It really did. Because I thought all along that's what I'm supposed to do. I pastored before, but I can tell you, I didn't want to. <laughs> Amen. But it was training for what God's called me to do down here. And I'm not saying that everything that I ever did in youth ministry was wrong. But I can, I'm saying that it was never necessarily God's stopping place for me. And it was a hindrance for me to see where he really wanted me to go. You see, sometimes in ministry and sometimes in the things that you're called to do, you might think that you have good intentions and great desires that are good. But sometimes those desires can actually lead you away from your true calling. Because sometimes we can have fleshly desires, but that are good things. It's not a bad thing to want to be a youth pastor. But if it ain't what God formed me to do, it's not going to work. And it will only bring destruction to me and possibly those kids. You see, when you walk out of the will of God, you kind of mess things up in your life. Just the way it is. But you see... We begin to put on a heart of surrenderance. We begin to say, it's not really about me. It's not really about my desires. It's not really about the things that I want to do. And it's not about the things that I think I'm good at or the things that I think I'm strong at. But sometimes, if we're going to mentor people the right way, we need to begin to tell them that they need to do the things that they don't care about doing and don't want to do and that they are not good at. 
Because God is trying to raise up well-rounded Christians nowadays, and we are trying to get people to come to church and play patty cake with them to make them feel comfortable. Amen? We want people to come to church with a big smile. And we want them to come up here and enjoy our services and shout and have a great time. And then when they leave, we get uninterested in them sometimes. I'm not saying that's here. But y'all know this is true of some churches. We're more interested about what we can get in here instead of what we can do out there. And I'm here to tell you that if we are too comfortable sitting in here in a nice air-conditioned building with nice, comfortable carpet that we can lay on and get our shout on, come on, somebody, and not willing to walk the streets, then we're in trouble. Then we're missing the boat. We're missing the mark. You see, most young preachers and most young people, they begin to dream big. They begin to dream about the stage and the lights. And, man, this is where I want to be someday, right here on this stage. But nobody tells them enough about the heart of surrendering that it's going to take to get them here. Now we'll come back to that in a minute. Paul, well, let's do it. Paul said this. He said, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yeah, doubtless I count all things but loss. He said all things. Did he say all things or some things? He said all things. Now, why did he say all things? He said all things because he meant all things. That means that whenever he began to think about all things I had to count as nothing in order to gain Christ, what that signifies is that there's a Christ that I'm trying to get to and that I want to receive and that I want to please, but there's a lot of things, a lot of things in my way, and he didn't just name a few. You see, sometimes we go to church and we name a few things we're willing to drop. Oh, we'll drop the drugs, we'll drop the alcohol, we'll drop the, you know, all the, the main deals, right? The main breakers. But will we drop our pride? Will we drop the way we speak to our spouse? Will we drop, you know, those little, those little, little acts of not doing something that we know we should have done because the, doesn't the Bible say that for he that knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin? Woo, come on, somebody. Amen. Hallelujah. Man, I like this lady in the back. What's your name again? Yeah, you. Miss Sandra? Well, thank you for the amens. I appreciate it. You make it easier to preach. Hey, will you go sit with, my, will you go sit with her so she'll teach you how to amen your husband? No, I'm playing. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to be in trouble by the time I get home. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> It's okay to have fun in church. All right, we're back. We're back. Let's get back to it. We don't want to get too crazy with the fun. You see, Paul said, I count all things, all things. So that means that you have no room for anything about you. Anything. I mean... That's a tall order, ain't it? Whew. When, whenever we tell young preachers that, 
they could walk around discouraged. They could put their head down and be like, well, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Let me ask you a question. If they get discouraged and quit, were they really called? Were they really committed? You see, we're all about numbers these days in a lot of churches. Amen? Well, if I can just get up to 40 more, if we can get 4,000, if we can get up to 15,000, every church has got their number they're working on. And I'm not against numbers, but I am against a pews or a full church, a full building where chairs are all filled, pews are all filled, and there ain't but two or three people saved. And there ain't but two or three people actually going out and making disciples. And there ain't but two or three people because you got to understand, whenever somebody puts their trust in Jesus and they have faith in God, you're going to see something about their life change. And if you don't, I sometimes question whether they really receive Christ. Because you see, when Paul accepted Christ, he said, all things. I count them all as dung. Well, why did he say that? Because, let's read on. He said, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, talking about Christ, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings. To be in fellowship with his sufferings. Be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I have already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Everybody say, follow after. You see, we're not teaching our young people enough that they're never going to arrive. And the minute that they start thinking that they have arrived, they've already missed the boat. The minute you and I begin to say, well, I'm making it, man. I'm getting there. I'm on it. That's why every sermon that I preach I put time and effort into it because I don't ever want to hear myself say I'm a good preacher. Because God didn't call me to be a good preacher. He called me to be an effective preacher. He called you to be an effective soul winner. He called you to get out of your comfort zone and move into places that are not comfortable. Because that's where the work's at. That's where people get saved. You see... We moved down here, and we had to surrender to God because our own desires were something different. And since we've been down here, it seems like a lot has gone wrong. My wife lost her dad, and it wasn't long after that we found out she was pregnant. And then she lost the baby, and we began to go through some struggles in that. And we're going through mourning, and we're going through these situations. We've had job things where I've had to switch jobs, and things of the leading of the Lord, and things doesn't seem on this surface like we're doing any good. And for a long time we wondered, but can I tell you something? We have led more people to the Lord since we've been down here since December, what was the second week of December we moved, something like that, than we did all year last year. 
in the comfort zone. Hallelujah. To God be all the glory. Amen. And I'm not saying we want a big number. That's the problem about the comfort zone. Sometimes you don't win any. Because you've got to walk where God tells you to walk. And so when I'm looking at is that, God, I may not be comfortable. But knowing that this man and his wife will make it to heaven someday, that's good stuff. And that brings me joy. And I'm not taking credit. God was working on him when we showed up. I was just the closest donkey in proximity to start talking to him. That's it. And I say that all the time and people laugh, but it's true. You don't have to be anything extravagant to be used of God. You don't have to be overeducated. You don't have to have seminary school. I'm just an old poor boy with a, a GED. And I barely passed it. I might have cheated a little bit. I don't know. I don't think I did, but I probably... <laughs> I was probably tempted because I was sweating that mad stuff. Amen? But the Bible never said that college would lead me into all truth. It said the Spirit. It said the Comforter. And so whenever I operate under the idea of submission and the idea of being a servant and the idea of being surrendered to God Almighty... There's nothing that we can't accomplish when we have that mindset. So, it takes changing. It takes surrendering. To truly be surrendered, you have to love. To truly love, you have to commit. To commit, you have to act. It's just the way it is. You can't tell somebody you love them and not act on it. Because love is not anything to do with how you feel. It's all about how you treat or how you do or what you do. See, my wife, she don't really think about a lot about what I say. I can tell her she's beautiful, and I do every day. Probably, I don't know, probably to the point where it wears her out. I don't know. But I tell her she's beautiful all the time. And I tell her that I love her several times throughout the day. All day, every day. I never stop telling her that. But does it ever stop her from getting mad at me? How come? Because she ain't paying much attention to what I'm saying. She's paying attention to what I'm doing. So when I say, baby, I love you, but I ain't got time for those dishes. <laughs> come on, man. She don't care about what you said. She cares about what you've done. And we need to stop praising young people for every little thing they say and start rewarding good character. That's how you mentor. That's how you train. That's how you teach. You see, when my kids do something good, I go above and beyond to try to make them feel like, man, I really appreciate this. My 17-year-old son wrote something to his mother the other day that touched her heart. And it touched mine just seeing the tears in her eyes when he wrote it. I'm not bragging on my son. I'm just saying it was a sweet moment. And it was something where he did something that was out of character a little bit. It's not that he never does sweet stuff. He does. But it was just something that was so timely and so needed by mom. And so 
I've been trying to praise him for that. I've been wanting to tell him how good of a job you did, son. But I don't ever tell somebody they did a good job simply because they said they was going to do something. You remember when we were growing up? You know, or, or maybe somebody, how many of you got kids in here? You remember when they was little and they was potty trained and all that stuff? You know, every parent's different. But you remember how mom and dad, they go in there and they stand over the toilet and little Johnny, he does this stuff. And they're like, whoa, oh, oh my goodness, you're just so amazing and all that. Well, then when the kid is five years old and he goes to the potty and you ain't as excited about it anymore, he's like, what in the world happened? Because we false reward our children a lot. I mean, we give them rewards for every little thing under the sun. We got people, they play sports, and whether you win or lose, you get a participation trophy. I'm glad you participated, but God called me to win. I read the back of the book. <laughs> you see, a lot of the things we do in the natural teaches our kids about spiritual principles. And we don't think about that enough. And so we want our kids and our young people and new Christians, we want them to be rewarded, but we want to reward them for the right things. And sometimes you need to reward them because a good mentor will push them out of their comfort zone to do something that maybe they don't feel like they're called to do. Because here's the thing, the Lord wants to teach all of us that sometimes we're going to have to serve other places that maybe we didn't feel like serving to. In other words, if you want to preach the gospel and you want to stand on a stage in the lights, but you're too good to scrub toilets, you might be a little too good for the kingdom. I don't know. I mean, can I just tell it like it is for a minute? We need to teach people to get out of the comfort zones. A long time ago, I was probably... 21, 22 years old. I don't even know if you'll remember this. This is so long ago. But we were, uh, we were, I think we were youth pastor, maybe, at an old Assembly of God church in Charleston. And the pastor there, Brother Terry Scott, he's, he's the one that married us and been, been over us for all these years. We've been under him for a long time. And he come to me one Sunday morning after prayer, and the praise and worship team was getting ready to practice and all that stuff, and he came to me. And he said, hey, man, um, Lord wanted me to talk to you. Uh, I've kind of asked you to do something that might be it's different, and I'm not asking you to take over. But he said, I want you to lead praise and worship. Now, immediately, my heart started beating really fast because I don't, I don't want to do the whole praise and worship scene. People's told me that, oh, you sing good, you know, why not? But it's not my calling. It's not what I, I don't feel anointed to do it. Now, mind you. Sister Myrna, the pastor's wife at the time, she had passed away several years ago, but at this time she was still alive. Beautiful voice. And she wasn't one of them that got up there and talked to you. You know how some praise and worship leaders, they got to preach a little sermon in between every song, and they got to try to push you into worship, you know. But it's just kind of like here, how, how you just get up and sing and let the anointing do the rest. And that's the way Sister Myrna was. When she sang, it was like the blanket of the presence of God. It just fell into the room so good, so amazing. And I'm looking at this man like, we got all that and you want me to lead praise and worship? <laughs> Sir, are you sure? <laughs> you know, you know. 
And of course, Dad always instilled in us when we was little that you do what you're told and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> hey, that's good training. Like it or lump it, it's good training. <laughs> because if we can't submit to the authority that God places over us on earth that we can see, good luck you know, submitting to one that you can't see. Come on. Amen. If you don't teach your kids to submit to authority on this planet, they're not going to submit to God either. It's just the facts of life. Because train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he'll go back to it. No. I mean, come on. He says he will not depart from it. So, if you don't train the child the right way, he ain't going to make it there. We don't train them the right way sometimes. So here's the thing. When he said that, I was thinking, this dude's done lost his mind. And I said, yes, because it's what I'm supposed to do. And I was so uncomfortable. Man, I was sweating bullets. I don't know if you remember. I don't remember th how the service went for sure, but I remember thinking this was a bust. This was horrible. I remember thinking horribleness. And I feel like we might have had a good service, but it was because he made up for it in the preaching. He had to preach extra to get it done right, you know, get everybody back on track. But he might have even took some criticism for that. I don't know. Mentors and leaders, pastors, if we're not willing to take criticism to lead people the way Christ would have us to lead, you're not really leading. Amen? It's okay. You see, because here's the thing. When it comes to your kids, somebody at school says, well, little Johnny done this, and they start, you know, trying to, Sway your kid one way or the other. You stand up real quick. Mamas be standing up real quick. Amen. <laughs> Y'all be getting upset over your kids. They get overprotected. Dad's like, ah, oh, he'll be all right. He can deal with it himself, you know. He'll make it. He'll survive. Make it tough. It'll be all right. But women, they'll be at the school like a rat on a Cheeto on some principal's head that didn't have no idea what she did wrong because <laughs> of something little Johnny said. See, we get... When it comes to our kids, but what about our children in the Lord? Do we take that same type of mentality for them? Do we take the same type of mentality to say that I'm going to put myself out there and do something that might be unorthodox simply because this is what God said? And so when Pastor did that, he was obedient to God, and he took a chance on people being like, uh, Pastor, we don't. We don't want to ever do that again, sir, <laughs> you know. Of course, you know, some pastors, they don't care what people say. Some pastors do. That's just the way it is. But we need to get to a point where we're willing to obey God regardless. And so when he did that, I did it, and it was hard, and it was difficult, and I sweated the entire time, and I hated every second of it. I really did. But see, my pastor saw in me fear. And he knew at a young age that I had to start overcoming fear to be able to step out and get uncomfortable. And the only way to overcome fear is to get uncomfortable and do it anyway. Amen? We talked about the last time I was here, so I won't get back into that. But you need to understand that if we're going to mentor people, we need to have them do things that maybe they might say no to. That maybe might stretch them a little bit. It's okay. You do that with your kids at home? Stretch them a little bit. Because let me tell you, when you get when you get all grown up, life stretches you, don't it, brother? 
Amen. Life happens. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so if you don't have a heart of surrenderance, guess what? Every time the rain starts and the wind blows, you just kind of go with the wind. I'm going to go over here with the wind, get away from everything. I'm, you know, or we'll go, I'm getting away from this rain. Because I don't like this rain. So you're unstable because you're constantly moving with the circumstances. But God is calling Christians right now in our nation to become mature. And he's trying to get his church to wake up and see that if we don't surrender, if we don't have the heart of a servant, we're not going to accomplish the things that he's wanting to accomplish in this day and age. And we'll die off before we see this revival we're praying for. Don't believe me? Go back and read about the children of Israel. They found out the hard way. Amen. And so the truth of the matter is, is we got to start counting some things as dung. And we got to make a move. You remember Jesus talked to the church at Laodicea. And he said to them in Revelation chapter 3. He said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And he said, I would rather you be cold or hot, but because you are lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Okay? Y'all remember reading that? <clears throat> How many of you ever heard it preached that you got to be hot for God and you can't have one foot in and one foot out and all that stuff? You've got to stop being a hypocrite. You better get in with it, blah, blah, blah. That has nothing to do with what that's talking about. Absolutely nothing. I preached that before. But here's the thing. Number one, this has nothing to do with salvation because he's talking to the church. He's talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to people that are saved. But here's the context. I know thy what? The context is works. Not salvation because you're not saved by works. Amen? Unless you're reading a different Bible than I am. But it says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And he said, you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, blind, and naked. Now there's a good little message right there. And there's several things you can preach about from those scriptures. But one thing that you need to understand about your life and the way Jesus speaks to you, he uses the geography of your life. You know, God don't speak to me in King James. That's why when some people get up and give an interpretation in tongues to me and they say, God's got a word for you, and they come over there to me, and they're all like, Verily, verily, I say unto thee this day, Oh, these and thous and those and all this stuff. I don't speak King James. I don't understand that stuff. You get done, I may not have a clue what you said to me. When God speaks to me, he says, hey, dummy, <laughs> wake up. I need to talk to you. <laughs> Amen. No, he, he, said, he talks to me in the language that I understand. He talks to Pastor Kenny Boland different than the way he talks to me because he's a different man. And so you got to understand something. He uses things about your life that you would understand. When he was talking to Laodicea, he was talking about their geographical situation. Because where they lived, they had mountains on one side. And they had valley on the other side. In the valley, they had these really hot springs of water. 
Oh, man, it was hot. You know, it was so hot, melt the skin off you. Kind of like how Vicky takes a shower. I just walk in the room and melt, and she's standing in there, hey, you know, like it's fine. I don't even know how she does it. But in the mountains, they had ice-cold water coming off the mountains. And so the people in Laodicea decided, we're going to build some bioducts, and we're going to bring the cold water to us and the hot water to us so we can have the best of both worlds. But what they didn't realize is by the time the water got to them, guess what? It was lukewarm. And so what happened? They were drinking that water or they were spitting it out. The people that were drinking it and just tolerated it were getting sick. And the rest of them were spitting it out because they were, oh, oh, let's go to the creek. We ain't eating here again. <laughs> Get your purse, honey, we're gone. <laughs> Amen. And so what Jesus was saying to them, I would that you'd be either hot or cold in what? What's the context? Your works. He said, so in other words, you're going to have to pick one or the other. In other words, you're going to have to move from where you're at. If you want hot, you're going to have to go to the hot. If you want cold, you're going to have to get up and go to cold. And see, some of us are lukewarm spiritually. And in our callings and in our works, we are lukewarm because we decided that this is a comfortable spot for me to stand. And bless the Lord, oh my soul, I'm like a tree that shall not be moved. Come on. That's where we get. And so we get stuck in this same old spot. And we miss the mark on what God is calling us to do. Because there might be a spot over here that you need to obey. And so if you want to get hot, you got to move over to the valley. Come on. And in the valley, whew, sometimes it ain't so good in the valley. But you know what? That's where the hot water's at. So that's where the action's at. One thing that I say about Charleston that I miss is all the mountains around us. You drive 30 minutes one way, there's some mountains to go to and hike and all that good stuff. The hills. It's just not boring scenery. Down here, it's a little flat for me. I feel like I'm in the valley, Lord. <laughs> but it's the hot water, though. Because this is where the mission's at. This is where God's saying you can work here. This is where God's saying, I'm going to use you greater than you ever thought here. And so I have to say, God, I surrender and go. Many times we forget. That old song, what's that song? How's it go? Daddy, you might have to help me remember. But it's that song that talks about, because the God in the good times. He's the God in the bad times, or he's still God, I think it says. And the God on the mountain is the God on the, I don't remember how it goes, but he's the God of the valley. He's still God no matter where you're at. So I'm asking you the question, where do we need to move today? Where do you need to move personally? I'm not saying get up and change churches, nothing like that. I'm not saying move like I moved, you know, as far as that. I'm saying be obedient to God. There's a lady named Carla up until this day I haven't met her the day that I'm about to tell you about not today today and I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong because I decided to go for a walk one day and we're still living in Charleston and I said Lord when I go I just want to be used of you I said I just want to be your servant so if you speak to me to say something or do anything 
I'm going to do it. And I went walking with a purpose that day. It wasn't just to get exercise, but I went to go to hopefully let God open up a door. You see, sometimes God ain't opening doors for you to be used because you ain't asking for them to be open. We sit at home comfortable. We ain't trying to get hot or cold. We like it lukewarm sometimes. But I, I went down Church Street, and I'm walking by the old house that me and my wife shared our first kiss in. Because I lived there when I was a teenager. And it's the house that my mom and stepdad got married in. And there's trash everywhere. And there's this car there that's got four, all four doors are open on it. And it looks like the seats have been ripped out. I mean, everything was just strode out of this car onto the ground. And there was trash bags everywhere. And there was this woman who looked like she just jumped off of a Harley and beat the crap out of 14 guys and stabbed them all and then went back. I mean, this, she looked rough. She looked like a gang leader. I was like, whoo, glory. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm walking, and God says, I want you to talk to her. And I look up, and I'm like, you talking about that one over there? <laughs> I said, Lord, I, she don't really look like somebody would be receptive to anything we got to say. <laughs> you sure you're right about that? And I begin to think in my mind, and I walk past her driveway, and I begin to think, you know, is this really God or is it just me? You ever do that? Let me tell you something. The devil, sometimes we'll say, is it God or the devil? The devil don't tell you to do anything good. Amen? He's not telling you to go give good words from God over anybody. And so I began to think about that. I thought about it, and I walked, and I walked about a half a block. And I said, all right, Lord, I'm going to do it. But if you want me to do it, at least give me the word first. Tell me what you want me to say. I don't want to go up there and stand at this woman and be like, uh, well, uh, you know, the birds are singing. You know, I don't want to say, I don't want to have nothing. I want to go prepared. And so I saw a banner of freedom and a death angel. And I thought, that's weird. And then I thought, no, 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 that makes perfect sense. Freedom from death. So I said, all right, that gives me a starting point. So I'm going to go. So I start walking up there. And she's standing on the porch at this time. And I'm walking up and I'm like, I'm like, ma'am, because I wanted her to see me. I didn't want to startle her. And I said, I'm Chris, and I felt like God wanted me to pray for you. Is that okay? And she goes, yes, just like that. And I was like, whew, I didn't know if this woman was possessed or what. You know, what was going on? And so I told her, I said, God says he wanted to set you free from death. He said, the devil has tried to kill you many times, but God has spared you and has a purpose in your life. He says you will live and not die, and that he wants to use you to help others from drugs and alcohol. He said, God, or God says that you belong to him and not Satan, and that he loves you like you are, but wants to set you free. Now, after I gave the word, I asked her if I could pray over her about the word. And so while I'm praying, God said to me to pray about her father and to tell her that God was healing her. I didn't know what it was. And so after I'd finished praying, she began to explain to me. And while she's telling me her story, I'm paying attention. So what she had on was a T-shirt with the skull crawling out of the hole saying, Hell's Angels. She had a bandana that said, Devil's Cut. She had a knife necklace on. 
you know, one of them knives that you can just pull the blade out and stab somebody real quick. This woman, I'm telling you, she was rough. And she was tweaking. Like really bad. She was so bad on drugs. She was picking and she couldn't sit still. She was squirming and all that stuff. She had been living a life of drugs and alcoholism for 22 years. But she told me that 22 years ago, her father had died and she had not healed from it yet. She said, I've been hurting and in pain ever since then. And she said, I'm not using that as an excuse for doing the drugs and alcohol, but that's where it got started. Now I'm just an addict. And she never healed. You see, when God tells you to do something, you need to do it. But this thinking about the word, you don't belong to devil, but you belong to God. What you have on? Devil's cut. Devil's angel. That's the mentality that she believed. And so I got to talking to her a little bit more and found out that the doctors told her that she had cirrhosis of the liver, some other disease that I do not know how to pronounce or spell, and I never heard of it. But she said she had cancer and that she was already on her way to death. So the word that God gave to one little tiny speck in this universe, because that's all I am. I'm just a little tiny speck. I'm nobody in, that's perfect. I'm nobody that's, that's great or extravagant. I was just somebody who was willing to say, I surrender that day. And so one word from one tiny speck is going to change that woman's life, I believe. Now, I haven't seen her since then. I went back every day, or not every day, but every week for a while to try to find her, and she was never home or never there. I don't know if she moved or what. Never seen her again. But can I tell you this? Whenever she goes back to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, honey, I don't know what happened, but you don't have any cancer anymore. We must have made a mistake. Immediately, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to say, that was me, baby girl. <laughs> and she's going to know that there's a God that loves her just the way she is, but she's going to be ready to submit to that God simply because she's going to live and not die, and she's going to know who to thank for it. Now, let me tell you, that never would have happened. Not for me, anyway. Maybe God would have used somebody else but what if I was the last of the Mohegans, so to speak, in that town that was willing to talk to little Miss Carla? Because she didn't look like an approachable character. Not very many church people were rolling up talking to her, I'm sure. Come on. You may not put a lot of emphasis on your obedience, but God sure does. And your obedience... And your lack of obedience is going to affect someone else whether you realize it or not. Either way you look at it. So it's better to obey. But you know what? You know what I found? God can see through the bull. Amen? He's not fooled whenever I say that prayer. God, use me. Oh, Lord, use me. But he knows my heart ain't in it. Come on. God can see through that baloney. And so the church is lacking people to sow seeds into in a lot of ways 
because he sees through our baloney, he knows that we ain't really ready to obey. Come on now. That's hard. I know, I understand. And I didn't come here to beat us up tonight. But I come to encourage you that if you'll have a heart of surrenderance, you can do anything. And God will look at the heart of surrenderance and that servant heart, and he'll begin to say, man, I can use a brother like that. I can use a daughter like her because her heart's ready to receive. She don't care if she's comfortable or not. You see, she don't, Vicky don't care if she's comfortable or not, so I can use her. I can bring her over here to step foot on this property and say anything to this woman and change her life, and then she might win the next Billy Graham for all I know. Come on. You see, sometimes we look at how small and ineffective we are because we don't think kingdom-minded enough. We don't think eternal perspective. But there's an eternal God that has an eternal plan for every living creature on this planet. And we might look at ourselves as just a little speck. But if one little speck will be obedient, you can change lives. And it might just be one at a time. It may not ever be to be standing on a stage with all the lights and on YouTube and TV and all of those things. That may not be what God ever calls us to be. But rest assured, if I'll be obedient, I will be used of God. If I want to be. Jesus was our example. I'm getting ready to close. I know some of you are thinking, ah, dude, you almost done or what? But I don't want to skip this. The Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 22, it says that he came out. Speaking of Jesus, he's getting ready to get crucified, get arrested. But he came out and went as he was wont. In other words, as it was accustomed to him to do. To the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was there at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Now, why did he need to be strengthened? Amen. This is the Son of God. The all-powerful Son of God needed strengthening. Well, because he was in a fleshly body, and he was going through some turmoil. How do we know? It says, verse 44, and being in agony, everybody say agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, let me say a few things here. Number one, for those of you that always say, well, God just, you just left me alone here to suffer. Whenever you're going through a hard time, you think God don't understand God understands. You're talking to a suffering God. You're talking to a God that left his comfort zone. He put his money where his mouth was, so to speak, and he did what he said he would do. He left his comfort zone. And he came and he suffered on that cross for you and me. And so sometimes we get to thinking, man, it's really bad right now. Where's God in this? Come on now. I know I'm preaching the way we're on our level tonight, but come on. 
That's the way we get. But you see, Jesus suffered. So he understands where you're at more than you know. But you need to understand that those who suffer with him, that's who's going to be joint heirs with him in heaven. Amen? That's the way it says. So, number one, he's not some God that don't understand where you're at tonight. You've been struggling. You've been having a hard time. He's been there. He knows. And he can help you through it if you will let him. Don't push him away. Don't point the finger, but instead say, God, I need you. I know you've been here. How did you get through it? Well, he shows you how he got through it, through prayer, number one. He didn't get off course of what he was called to do because he kept going to this place as it was custom for him to go to. And he prayed. But look at what he said. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What's he talking about? The cup of suffering on the cross. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We always quote that and don't fully think about it. But he said, not thy, he said, not my will. What does that signify? But yours be done. It means that Jesus had his own will. He didn't want to die for you and me. But he had a committed heart of love to the heavenly father and he put his money where his mouth was and said, I will go nevertheless if that's really what you want. But he said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through it. But I will if that's what you want. You see, it wasn't Jesus' love for you necessarily that made him die on the cross. It was his love for the Father. And it was the Father's love for you that made him die on the cross. Because he sent the Son. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so we need to understand that whenever we're thinking God is being too hard on us, you got to understand we ain't doing nothing compared to what he did. I don't see anybody in here with a cross on their back that took stripes and that's going to hang there and know they're going to go through it but still say yes. You see, sometimes we're like, we see hindsight's twenty twenty, right? We go through things, and we'll be like, boy, if I'd have known that, I wouldn't have did that. Jesus knew it and still did it. If we knew everything that was to come in our suffering, would we still be obedient to Christ? So let me say this. We go back to our text. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To take up the cross daily. He didn't say take up his cross. He said take up your cross. What does that mean? Sometimes it means to take suffering. And it means to, you know, to be willing to suffer for God. That's not what it means. In that day and age, the Roman soldiers used that, as, and the only thing that they knew that was was not a place of sacrifice or like we know it today. you got to understand, the Son of God hadn't died on the cross up until that time. They didn't understand what we understand now, so they looked at the cross different in that time. When he said, take up your cross, 
they looked at that as a crucial death. And they often made prisoners, like Jesus had to, carry their cross to their certain death where they would be. And so what is he really saying? He's saying die. He's saying you got to die. Like Jesus, when he surrendered that night in that garden, Luke recorded, we didn't finish reading this, but he recorded that his sweat became his great drops of blood. Why? Well, I looked this up, and I did some studying. There's a medical term that we don't always think about, but it's, I think it's called, if you say it right, if I'm saying it right, I think it's called hematidrosis. And what that is is the blood capillaries underneath the skin bust and they bleed into your sweat gland so when you sweat your sweat you're literally sweating out your blood and Luke said they became as great drops of blood great that means he bled a lot and he was sweating a lot why because he said being in agony he prayed the more earnestly in agony physical and severe stress Jesus was so stretched about the cross and the suffering that he was going to do that his body tensed up so much that his blood capillaries burst. And recorded history, if you look this up, you won't find this being done very many times, but every time it was before somebody was about to be executed and they knew it was coming. Wow. Talk about commitment. He was underneath that much stress over it. And still said yes to the Father. I wonder are you willing to carry your cross tonight. And say yes to the Father. And let yourself die. So that you can really truly be found. So that you can truly live in Him. Won't you stand to your feet. Heavenly Father. God I just want to thank you. For the sermon that you gave us. I want to thank you for the word. I want to thank you. For all that you are doing in this area God tonight I know I talked about some of my personal testimonies and things of that nature but all those were were steps in obedience that you gave me the grace to be able to do and God when I look around this room there are people we are just people that need your grace and we just need a heart that's willing to say yes and so, God, I wonder if there be any of us here tonight that would like to say yes on a deeper level and say, God, send me. Or, yes, God, I will go. Yes, God, I will serve. So, Lord, I just pray that your will would be done for the rest of this night. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for tuning in with us. If this word ministered to you, please consider sowing a seed to Freedom Ministries at freedomministriescrossit.com. We have made it available to you on the giving page. Thank you again. Go and be blessed. In Jesus' name.